Hey, hey, this is Takara, and you are listening to A Letter to My Sister podcast. You are in the right place if you are raised to be a strong, independent woman who didn't have to depend on anybody for anything, but then you realize there were some lessons that you didn't quite get as you were going along the way. We often go through life the best way that we know how, and we don't even realize that there's a better way. So in here, there will be some raw and real conversations surrounding life lessons about the things that we wish that we had known, maybe about self, love, money, and even our careers. So if you're new here, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, and I would love for you to leave a rating and review as well. So now that we've got all that out the way, let's chat, sis. Hey sis, welcome back to another episode of A Letter to My Sister podcast. If you have been rocking with me at all this season, then you know that my focus has been on, yes, relationships. But again, yet another week, I want to talk about self. And what I decided to do was bring back an old episode from season one that was called Fatherless Daughters. I do believe that in order for us to have the healthiest relationships possible, that sometimes we need to go back to the root and we need to make sure that we have addressed some things that maybe had been, what do we call it? Um, Lying under the rug, is that the term? Placed under a rug? Either way, things that we have not addressed so that we can have the best relationships possible. So if you have heard the episode before, Still listen to it because you might hear something new. But if this is your first time hearing this episode, then you certainly want to make sure that you take some notes because I promise you Bernadette is going to drop a whole bunch of gems. So listen up. Hello, welcome back again for another episode of A Letter to My Sister podcast. Today is going to be a good one because I have a guest with me today. I have Bernadette Jackson. She is a woman of faith, a mom, a fatherless daughter, and we'll get more into that, and a transparent truth teller. As a relationship engagement strategist and your fear investigator, she creates safe spaces for fatherless daughters to learn, grow, and heal. So I'm telling you, it's going to be a good one today because she is going to read, she is redefining how the world views women with daddy issues. And at the end of this, I promise you, you are going to want to find a way to get in contact with her. And I will definitely make sure that you have all of her information at the end of this episode. So Bernadette, thank you so much. Welcome to A Letter to My Sister podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate the invitation. I love what you're doing. Well, thank you so much. You know what? So let's let's just hop right into it because when I first came across you in our business coaching program and I I said fatherless daughters. Now that that is a topic. So yeah. how did you come up with the concept a fatherless daughter, and and what is it that kind of led you in this direction? That's a really great question, and it kind of just points me back to my story. Um, I'm a fatherless daughter, and to be honest with you, I didn't even know that term 
until I started to do some research about what was going on with me and why was I having the type of relationships that I was having. So um, I'll backtrack a little bit. I want to say maybe about five or six years ago, I was in a relationship with a man and I thought that he was going to be my husband. And um, what happened is that I ended up spending my birthday completely alone because I broke up with him when I realized that I was dating yet another person who was emotionally unavailable, who wasn't ready for commitment, and um, it was heartbreaking. I had just always known relationships where men were just not ready for what I wanted. And instead of taking that as a sign to move on, I would look at it as a personal challenge to see if I could change their mind, if I could somehow convince them that I was worthy of what I wanted. And it was just a cycle of me being in failed relationship after failed relationship. And so when I had spent that birthday alone, it was dark, it was cold, and everything felt even more grim because it was December, it was January, it was just, it was just too much. And I was sitting in my apartment, I was all alone, and I was trying to figure out why was I back at this place again? I thought that I had passed it. I thought that it was something that I was over, that I wasn't doing anymore. And I didn't realize that I hadn't learned anything at all. So I cried out to the Lord. Um, I just was so tired of being the good girlfriend, of wanting to be loved, wanting to be in a successful relationship and it never working out. And so the Lord told me in that moment that I was the common denominator in all of my failed relationships. And until I changed, I was not going to see the change that I wanted to see. And when I tell you that I felt like I was punched in my stomach, <laughs> I really couldn't believe that that's the message that the Lord had given me. I'm sitting there like, I'm not the one who has cheated. I'm not the one who's unavailable. What are you talking about? But I had to sit with it. And even though it was heavy, I realized that I represented all of the things that I said I didn't want. And when I started to dig a little deeper, I realized that it all stemmed from my father not being there. And so immediately I knew that I needed to do something different. And I just went on a path of radically implementing some new thoughts, some new habits, new actions. And it started with me doing some research. And in my research is where I actually found the term fatherless daughters. We typically like to say that, you know, women have daddy issues, but this term was the only book that I could find about my particular situation, what was going on with me. And it astounded me that so many women identify with fatherlessness and yet there were only one book out at the time when I was trying to to get some answers. And so 
for me, just doing that work and reaching out to other people, finding out that I wasn't the only one who had the same issues that I did, and just sharing what I learned with women around me, I realized that they were looking for the same answers that I was looking for. And that's actually how I came to do the work that I do today. Because apart from that one book that I found, there weren't any resources available for us. And I knew that if I was going to heal, if I was going to move forward in the types of relationships that I wanted, I was going to have to create my own solutions. And that's what I ended up doing. Wow. That is powerful, especially what you said at the end, that you have to be the one to create your own solutions. And now here you are today, after you have created your own solution, you're now kind of bringing other women up along with you to say, well, I didn't have this resource available for me, Mm -hmm. but now let me show you the way of how to get from this point to your next. Yeah. That's all. That's already powerful (laughs) enough (laughs) right there, just as it is. I think what, um, what really kind of struck out to me is that one of the first things that I heard you say is that you would try to change, change their mind, change the men's Mm. mind that Mm -hmm. you are with. And I think that is so common for a lot of us women, because we feel like, well, if we love, if we love, if I love him more, or if I do this more, or if I do that, like, it's always, if I do something more, right. then maybe I can, you know, bring them over to my side, or maybe mm-hmm. I can pull him along or something like that. So is that one of the first things that you worked on after you read the book? Or what was your path like to say, all right, this is the thing that I need to work on, and then kind of how you are able to progress from there? Right. That's a really great question. So um, my path was kind of zigzaggy, like I would take two steps forward and three steps back. But um, what I did or what was different about my journey now versus my desire to do this before was that I was determined that I was going to become the woman that I wanted to become. And because the Lord told me that I was the common denominator in all of my failed relationships, I knew that everything started with me. And so it wasn't about who I was dating. It wasn't about what they did. It wasn't about any of that. I needed to focus on me. And so the first thing that I did was I found out exactly how my father loss was affecting me. And how was I showing up in relationships because of that? And how I showed up in relationships was due to how I felt about myself as a result of that story. And examining those thoughts, that's really what I had to do first. That's a good point that you made because I remember just in some of my psychology classes is that it was almost like the mate that we choose is is somehow related to the connection that we have with with the opposite parent. Yeah. So if your like if your father was very um you know critical or something like that, that's almost kind of like who you would end up choosing not even knowing that mm-hmm. directly. Is that something that you noticed or something that you kind of picked up on as you went through this journey? 
Yeah, um, that's actually exactly what it was. What I realized is that I was choosing what was familiar and not what I deserved. And Ooh. at the time, you know, familiar for me was uh, non-committal. It was emotionally unavailable. It was um, people who just weren't trustworthy, who I needed to prove my worth to. And those were all things that were the result of my father not being there. I internalized his absence to be that something was wrong with me, that it was an indictment against my character. And so as a result of it, I developed this complex of needing to prove that I was worthy to be loved, regardless of what the person was doing, what they were giving me or anything. So long as they were there, I was okay. And I did not think about my needs or desires at all, so long as they didn't abandon me the way my father did. Now, that's an interesting concept as well, because often what I hear, and I, and honestly, I believe a, a lot of us women kind of take on this mindset where it's, I hope he likes me. Mm -hmm. But then they say, actually, the question should, pro or the statement should be, well, do I like him? Exactly. Question. So yeah. it's almost like we have to flip our mind around to say, well, no, don't focus so much on that person, but focus on how you feel around this person and then mm -hmm. kind of take it from there yeah. with the relationship. Yeah, I completely agree with that. When I'm working with my clients, I try to get them to a place to understand that they have the power to choose who they want to be in relationships with, what they want to accept from people, and how they want to be treated. And they have the right to articulate that to the person who wants to be in their life. Otherwise, that person doesn't have to be there if they don't want to treat them the way they want to be treated. And it, it took a long time for me to even get that for myself. And it really just came as a result of the healing that I had to do, the self-work that I had to do, the um, self-validation that I had to give myself, and the self-love that I had to develop. That's good. I want to go back to this word. You said choose. Hmm. So we're talking about choosing a person, but then you also said that you are choosing what was familiar. Yeah. So how do you go against your own brain and say, well, actually familiar is probably not what's best for me. So how do you coach or teach or even encourage a person to go with something unfamiliar? Because it seems like when you're in an unfamiliar situation, you tend to clam up, you tend to mm -hmm. kind of shirk back. So right. how does one kind of navigate choosing in a sense, the unfamiliar. I think that a lot of times, if we even just look at what we're doing um, from a different angle, it gives us the opportunity to do something different. So whenever we're in relationships with people, we typically do not um, do what I call a relationship autopsy on it. You know, we will be in relationships with people it won't work out. We won't really examine why. We'll just, you know, take it for what it is. 
sometimes you might uh, pay, place blame or we may um, know without a shadow of a doubt that, you know, the relationship ended because of something that the other person did. But we don't look at the little things that happened to lead up to the big thing that made the relationship end. And so what I do in my um, work with fatherless daughters is that I help them to connect those dots that they don't typically see. So what that will look like is taking a look at your relationship patterns. You know, what types of people are you always gravitating towards? Uh, what are their characteristics? How do you typically feel in your relationships? Do you feel seen? Do you feel supported? Do you feel loved? Or do you feel like your needs and desires are always put on the back burner? That this person is not really prioritizing what you may need. That this person doesn't really listen to you or really understand who you are. Like when you start examining these things, you can take a look at the list that you put on paper and simply write a new list with the opposite of that thing. And just doing an exercise like that will help you to see what you've been experiencing versus what you actually want. And when you actually see the list of the things that you want, your brain locks it in and you're able to now process that a little bit differently. It's almost as if you're looking at it from the outside instead of being right in the middle of it. And so when you start to experience things that are not on that list, your brain is going to start to trigger you like, hey, you said that you were looking for somebody who was trustworthy and this guy has not been trustworthy. And so now once your brain starts to trigger these list items that you've already put out there, um, you'll start to see things a little bit differently. And what happens is that you'll begin to be a little bit more uncomfortable accepting things that you used to accept because you have called it to your own attention. And when you call things to your own attention, your brain has a way of reminding you of exactly what you said that you didn't want and what you did want. And when we focus on the things that we do want, our brain is going to give us more of that thing. And it's gonna highlight so much clearer when what we're experiencing is not what we said we wanted. Oh, okay, okay. A list. Hmm. That's really good, you know, because we often hear people often tell us to write a list. We like yeah. we go to the grocery store and they tell us write a list so that way you don't get distracted and just start buying up stuff and going all over the place. But as I think about what you're saying writing a list involves so many different components of the body. Mm -hmm. Like you've got to think about it, you've got to spell it. And then you've got like the, what is, I don't, the tactile, I guess, with, right. with touching the pen and writing. And right. then after that, you're writing it. So now you're seeing it and now you're absorbing it. Yeah. So, ooh, that's good. I never even put that connection together. Yeah. It really makes it easy for you to to see and to process what you've been experiencing in a different way. A lot of us don't take the time to actually 
get curious about our own selves and what's been going on with us and you know what we've been doing we just like live in the moments and if we take a step back and we actually examine what's been happening we get to process it in a different way and that different way allows us to now see a lot clearer what's going on and be able to juxtapose it with what we said we wanted that's really good. So as I'm assuming as a person is writing this list, as they're getting clearer about what they want, I know that you you did a few episodes in your in your podcast, this series regarding triggers. Right. So how does that then weave into them being able to identify different triggers? So the fatherless daughter trigger points is what you're referring to. That is a list that embodies what's going on with them versus the list that we were just talking about is um, really a description of the type of people that they want to have in their life. But the fatherless daughter trigger points are the characteristics that a lot of fatherless daughters have that are the result of their father not being there. And they can go from as simple as anxiety. And I say simple because a lot of people have anxiety. It's not just fatherless daughters, but it can move straight into um, something like promiscuity. So there, there are a lot of different things that fatherless daughters have in common. And um, that particular list depends on how the woman has lost her father, whether it was through absence, death, or him being physically there and emotionally unavailable. So depending on the type of relationship or lack thereof that the woman has had with her father, she will um, present in a few different kinds of ways. And a lot of it has to do with what she has been telling herself as a result of her father not being there. These are really interesting because now, well, let, let me just use me as an example. Mm -hmm. I lived with my mother during the school year and then I lived with my father during the summer. Mm -hmm. So not present for nine months, definitely seen for three months. Right. Is it even possible for even those maybe like myself who does not see or did not see their father full time? Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that we, well, I'm not imagining because just some of these that you've already kind of named off, I was like, oh yeah, that was me. Um, yeah. For how we then also kind of fit into this category because of course, initially when I was like fatherless daughters, I was like, yeah, okay, this is probably a father that's not present mm -hmm. at all. But then as I think about it, I'm like, well, what about those that were in that situation where they were kind of shuffled back and forth between different households? Right. So how does that then affect those people? Or, or, or are, are we all just kind of in the same category, essentially? 
Well, I look at fatherlessness um, as being on a spectrum. So on one end, uh, the extreme would be a father who has never been there. And then on the other side of that is a father who is present and who was um, attentive and intentional. And in the middle are varying degrees of fatherlessness. And depending on how the woman has um, handled the situation, depending on how her feelings were affirmed in childhood, depending on whether or not she had other male mentors that, you know, spoke into her, that covered her, where she was able to get that male relationship, uh, it will determine the degree to which her fatherlessness affects her in her relationships now. And so um, if we're thinking about your situation where you saw your father for three months and then you didn't see him for nine months, in those nine months, if he was not intentional about his communication with you, and if he was a person who who really didn't call you very much, who you didn't see him outside of the three months in the summertime, things like that, then um, you, I would consider that to be absent, you know, or like, you know, a part-time father. If he was present and he was there and he was intentional for those three months, it would be good. But because it wasn't all year round, and if it wasn't also coupled with some kind of intentionality when he didn't see you, then there are likely some beliefs that you have developed as a result of that. And so some of it could be um, constantly seeking validation. It could be uh, the desire to control everything around you. It could be... Um, having issues with intimacy, um, not wanting to be vulnerable. It could look like having a fear of abandonment or rejection. It could be fierce loyalty to family or friends. Um, it could be that you overextend yourself in relationships with others or being the caretaker to your friends or mothering your significant other, all of these things. Um, what I want people to realize about fatherlessness is that not having your father present did not give you the um, ability to see what relationships with men are supposed to be like. So you didn't get that dynamic to see, okay, like how should I be treated by a man? How should I treat a man? And so without that relationship skill, you're almost grasping at straws, trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I want the dynamic of my relationship to look like not having seen a healthy relationship? And this may not be your situation, but this is just, you know, the situation that I find a lot of fatherless daughters in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people don't give enough credit to the fact that relationships require skill. Just like anything else, the skill can be learned. It isn't something that we inherently know. It's something that we have to see, it's something that we have to experience, and it's something that we have to practice. And so if we don't get those elements, 
or if one or two of them are missing, then when it's time for us to now have relationships, we're not going to have all of the answers. And so people look at that as somehow being um, a personal failure, where really it's just a skill that they have not acquired and learned. And so fatherless daughters are behind the eight ball a little bit because we haven't experienced that type of relationship. And if your mom did not remarry to a man that was intentional about fathering you, then you also have not seen it displayed in any way at all. So it's just like, how do you now craft your own amazing relationship if you haven't seen any examples of it, if you didn't experience it yourself? And if no one pulled you aside and said, hey, let me show you these skills so that even though you didn't experience this, you know what to look for and you know what to do when you actually get into a relationship yourself. So it's, you know, I feel like that's where the work actually comes in. And this is uh, a lot of what I provide for my clients after we work through the pain of not having their father there. Ooh, I got so many places I want to go. Okay. All right. <laughs> First of all, you, you stabbed me a few times with some of those. Uh, <laughs> this look like that. I was like, ooh, ooh, that's me. Ooh, that one was me too. Oh, okay. That, that one and that one is me. Okay. <laughs> all right. So in going, in going through that, and let's say there are other people who are listening and they're like, oh, okay, I did not even realize that maybe this is why I do some of the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes in a lot of, in my circle, this is what a lot of my friends and I spoke about. We're like, okay, um, I'm getting married. Yay. Hallelujah. Yeah. But I've never seen it. And then yeah. it's almost like we're, we're just trying to, we're, we're, and then we take things that we've seen from the movies and, and yes. we take that we think that we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, why didn't this turn out like love mm-hmm. and basketball at the end? Or mm-hmm. I've never mm-hmm. seen the notebook, but I heard it's very, very sappy and I don't like yeah. sappy movies, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, well, why didn't he chase after me in the rain? Like they yeah. did in the movie. Yeah. And mm-hmm. And it's almost like we're just out here lost in the sauce. Yeah. And I feel like that's almost kind of why the dating scene is the way that it is, because both sides are saying the dating pool is trash and Mm -hmm. there's poop in the water. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what both sides are saying. So I'm like, if both sides are saying this, then clearly there is some kind of disconnect somewhere and like you've been saying I really think that it goes back to like essentially just being in a single parent household period because we didn't see how the dynamic was supposed to go and now we're just kind of creating our own life that we're hoping that it works and how to proceed from there so that point that you the point that you made saying relationships require skill. Mm-hmm. I think we just could have dropped the mic right there because it's like it's not talked about. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And I think that that is the problem that we have. 
Um, I think that people are having this thought that they're just supposed to be able to have amazing relationships if the person that they're with um, is cute, if we like each other, if we go together. And it's mm-hmm. like, that is not, that's just not it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like when you are trying to merge your life with another human being, that's going to take work and skill. Like, even if you just think about just trying to get through your day at work with the different personalities and stuff like that, and that's not even as intimate a relationship as a person that you're dating. And that takes skill, it takes nuance. And it takes a level of of self-awareness. And if we have to learn how to live and work with people on our jobs, I don't understand like why you would believe that it was just going to be something that came naturally in a romantic relationship. It just doesn't make any sense. And even just to, you know, like circle back to something that you said in terms of, you know, us thinking that movies are a accurate representation of what relationships are like, this is classic for fatherless daughters. Because we don't get to see it in real life, the only other thing we can do is turn to movies, is turn to books, and, you know, just romanticize what this could possibly be. You know, we use our imaginations a lot. And I credit myself as having a really vivid imagination because when I was younger, I used to imagine what a relationship with my father could possibly like. I I used to imagine my Prince Charming coming up on a white horse and saving me. And I promise you, like when I was in my 20s, after I watched Pretty Woman, I was like, if me and my man have an argument and this man does not come in a limo with an umbrella to come (laughs) and find me and say, like, I'm taking you away from this because I love you. I'm like, he don't love me. This man don't love me. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I was serious about that. And it's just like, you know, it's all we know. Like, I was such an avid reader, and I used to be, like, digging through these Eric Jerome Dickey books, and I'm going to date myself here, but if anybody knows about Eric Jerome Dickey books, you know how he wrote his characters and these stories. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I used to love reading these books and just getting lost in these characters, like, oh, I want my boyfriend to bump into me in the cab in the winter time, and we're just gonna hit it off, and it'll just be happily ever after. Like, this is the dream that we want. And it's because we haven't seen any real representation of what relationships look like, of the work that it actually takes of the skill that's required in having healthy relationships. And so we just imagine that what Hollywood has presented to us is real, not realizing that everything that we see on TV, that we read in books, has to be exaggerated for entertainment purposes. Like it's for entertainment purposes. It's not real. These things are made 
because they, we need to be stimulated in some way. And if we actually showed what relationships look like in terms of you know the day to day and what's required, nobody is going to a movie like that. So they yeah. have to make it so much bigger and grander for it to get our attentions. And we think that this is what the goal is. So that honestly, like I've had these conversations so many times with people and I've had to talk my own self off the ledge quite a few times before I was healing because I really just thought that my relationships are supposed to look like the way they do on TV. And Mm -hmm. when I came to the realization that they don't, that that's not real, that relationships look so different and that it's a skill that I could learn it, it brought me down to reality really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I think not only that, as social media mm. has become more of uh, this big thing in your day, it's on your phone, it's on your computer, it's advertising, yeah. it's marketing, it's this, it's that. And then you come across all these cute little TikTok videos mm-hmm. and the Instagram reels and the Facebook videos and, and all of a sudden... One couple takes a cute picture and then they become relationship goals Yeah. or you follow a photographer and they did a blind date, but then they're, they're, there's such a chemistry and a connection on the picture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, relationship goals. Right. <laughs> I've seen that and I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so then for those that have not seen the example for those that are looking at the movies, we're, we're, we're looking at all the hashtag relationship goals. We're looking at the all the hashtags. If, I, if my man don't do this, mm-hmm. if he don't do this, then I don't want him. Right. How do you go about then creating this realistic list of what you want or this realistic list or even just begin the thought process of what a real authentic relationship looks like for that individual person? I think that it really starts with you getting to know who the authentic person is. And when I say that, I'm talking about yourself. Um, Until you know yourself deeply, you won't even be able to articulate what you actually like, what you're looking for, and then be able to express that to someone else. And so my advice to anyone who's listening, who may be wondering like, well, what is the first step? It's to get just as curious about yourself as you are with the people that you like. Um, I feel like it's a big misconception that people think that because they've lived with themselves all their lives, that they really know who they are. And, and the reality is that they don't. And so the first thing that I would say is to just start to get really introspective about who you are, what you like, what brings you peace, what has actually been some of the obstacles in your way to the types of relationships that you want to experience. And asking yourself some of these questions, just getting really deep and curious about who you are as a person will reveal quite a bit 
about what you've been doing, how you've been showing up, and why. And I think that once you start to be able to answer that question, then you can move on to saying, okay, well, now that I know that this is how I've been showing up in relationships, and I really want to show up in this way, you see that gap there and you need to start asking yourself, how do I get from what I've been doing to what I actually want to do? And I feel like it's just coming as a result of you healing. It could be journaling. It could be you seeing a therapist. It could be you having a relationship engagement strategist like myself. There's so many avenues that you can take, but it has to start with your curiosity about yourself and you actually going on a journey to discover who you are authentically. When you start to get to a place where you want to show up authentically in your relationships, then you start to attract the type of people who you actually want to be in relationship with. Because right now, what a lot of people are doing is trying to present the very best version of themselves and not actually being vulnerable, not actually showing people who they really are, like what their flaws are and stuff like that. And a lot of that really makes you unique and beautiful. And without the knowledge of who you are about um, what it is that you do, why you do the things that you do, people don't get to see who you actually are. And so when they don't get to see that and everything is on the surface, you don't really get to have the types of connections with people that build the amazing relationships that you've been yearning for. Interesting. Okay. The first thing that kind of popped in my mind was, okay, so if step one is get curious about relationships, just the relationships, not any romantic relationships, but just how you show up with regular people, what would be your take as far as dating? Like during this time, should a person be dating? Should they not be dating? Well, um, the first thing is, is that the first step would be to get curious about yourself and um, not, not so much just relationships in general, but about mm-hmm. who you are and your relationship with other people in terms of how you show up in relationships with people. So okay. that would be what I would say as number one. And in terms of your your question about whether or not you can date as you're going on this journey, I say the answer is yes. And the reason why I say that is because you not having your father around and the pain and the hurt that you have experienced because of that is relational. And you're not going to be able to heal fully until you actually get into a healthy relationship with a person that negates all of the limiting beliefs, all of the pain, all of the trauma that you've experienced from that first relationship. So in other words, the healing that is going to complete this journey is going to happen in the same way that it started. And so 
as you're going down the, the journey, as you're getting to know yourself, you can absolutely get to know people and you can bring them along on the journey with you. As you discover things about yourself, you can share these things with people. And as, as much as it is a foreign concept in terms of us wanting to present ourselves in the best possible light, I feel like once you start to become really vulnerable with people in terms of who you actually are and why, you get to know very quickly if the person that you're talking to has the capacity to help you to walk along this journey. And at the end of the day, I believe that a person's capacity is more important than, than their compatibility. And so what that means is that your compatibility will change. You know, today I like popcorn and I like mini golf. Tomorrow I might like pretzels and I might like the movies. That's compatibility. But your person's capacity in terms of whether or not they are always going to be curious about who you are, in terms of them always wanting to prioritize your needs and desires as much as their own, in terms of a person being able to hold space for you as you deal with some of the emotions that you're going to be dealing with, that type of capacity does not change. And so you're looking for a person who can partner with you as you're going down this journey. And the only way for you to know that is to actually open up yourself to show them what's actually going on, what you're doing, and see if they're willing to go on the journey with you and if they can handle it. And to be quite honest with you, it's a blessing for you to find out whether they can or they can't. Because if they can't, now you know that this person is not your person mm -hmm. and you can release them gently and you can go on to find somebody else who actually is there and who does have the capacity for what you need. But if that person does have the capacity and they're willing to get in the trenches with you when you have you know, these triggering moments, they're willing to help you up when you fall. They're willing to, you know, see where you hurt and be gentle with that space. Like all of these things, that person is saying to you that they care enough about who you are, who you really are, to handle you in a way that makes you feel seen, loved, supported, and ultimately understood. And that type of safety can only come when a person displays that they have the capacity that you need for the type of relationship that you want. And the more you get to know yourself, the more you will realize exactly what that capacity looks like for you. What my capacity is and what I need from a person is going to be different from yours. And it's only going to come as a result of me getting to know more of who I am. Because the more I know who I am, the more I know where I hurt, the more I know what my triggers are and how I need to be supported during those times, the more I can tell the person that I'm with exactly what I'm feeling and how I need to be supported. And people who care about you are going to want to support you in the ways that you ask them. As, as funny as that might seem or as vulnerable of a process that might be, 
that is what you're going to have to do in order to experience the type of relationships that you want. But you can absolutely do both. You can be walking down your healing journey and still meet a person and bring them on the journey with you and see if they can hang. And then you'll be able to know whether or not this person is one that is going to be able to last the distance or if this person is just going to be a blip or a pit stop on the journey that you're taking. Ooh, Bernadette, if this was a church sermon, <laughs> I would have found something to throw up there at the altar. <laughs> oh, I would have found something to throw up there at you. <laughs> I'd be like, Lord, where is my money? Where are offering? Do something, Jesus, because she done brought this whole thing down. I love that capacity yeah. over compatibility. That yes. is so good. And I mm -hmm. have never heard anybody break it down like that, but that is so key because we often focus on, are we compatible? Are we compatible? Yeah. But like you were saying, people change over yeah. time and it's expected. And it's like, oh my God, you change. Well, mm -hmm. yes, of course I'm supposed to. Life right changed me in these different ways, right. but is the capacity there? Mm -hmm. Is the capacity there? Look, yeah. I'm not even going to ask you nothing else because I feel like we just need to stop right there and just let that <laughs> sink in right where it is. But to summarize, because I was over here taking notes, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this myself. <laughs> <laughs> but to summarize, basically what I got from this is as a fatherless daughter, number one, it's not what you think. It's not that your father wasn't present, period. It's just that there may have been points in times where he wasn't present, whether physically or emotionally present for you. And the mm -hmm. first thing that we have to do, this is a complete journey of introspection. Yeah. And we have to see how we authentically show up in whatever space that we're in. And like you were saying, um, you know, we, we want to come and we want to bring on our best impression as if this is some type of job interview. Right. But it's like, no, you you really want somebody to literally, like the song goes, love you flaws and all. You mm -hmm. want that because at least then you know, like you were saying, capacity that yeah. they are willing to actually go through that with you. Ooh, that was mm -hmm. that was so powerful. Okay, a burning deck because I know somebody is trying to find you. Where, <laughs> where can the people find you if they want to learn more about you, your coaching program, and what you offer? You can go to my IG page. I do a lot of work there. I share a lot of information about fatherlessness and it is Bernadette N. Jackson. So that's um, at B-E-R-N-A-D-E-T-T-E-N-J-A-C-K-S-O-N. And if you wanted to find out about what I do, about my programs, you can look at the link in my IG bio and you can engage with everything that I have there. I do have a one-on-one -on -one coaching program. It is called Her Way Relationship Intensive. 
And that is where I take women through a 10-week process to understand their father's story, to identify their fear-based responses, and to find out what their transparent truths are so that they can start to have the amazing relationships that they deserve. But if you just want to get a little bit of information about how your fatherlessness may be affecting your relationships now, you can go to BernadetteJackson.com forward slash freebie to download 10 ways your daddy issues are affecting your relationships. All right. Thank you so much. Bernadette, you, you have welcome. opened my eyes. You have blown <laughs> my mind. <laughs> and all of these wonderful things. You also have um, a Facebook community, correct? For those that play around on Facebook? Yeah, I do. I have a, pri a private Facebook community. It's called Her Coalition. And Her is an acronym. So it's H.E.R. Coalition. And um, that is where I just have a bunch of fatherless daughters together. We love on each other. We support each other. I teach them in that community. Um, every Friday, we do like a, a lesson. Um, and everything that I have going on, they find out first. So you can start there. You could also uh, listen to my podcast. It's called the Bernadette Jackson Podcast. And you can find that everywhere that podcasts are um, streaming. So there's a few different things that you can do, but all of those links are found on my IG bio at Bernadette N. Jackson. All right, fantastic. Listen, Bernadette, thank you so much again for coming through to the Letter to My Sister podcast. I certainly appreciate you. I appreciate the knowledge that you have dropped and the information that you're giving because I truly believe that once we start to look introspectively that will then be the key and the tide to turn these relationships and make them as healthy as they can possibly be. So thank you so much. And you all, listen, I will put all of her information into the show notes because you probably gonna need to find her one way or another or just follow her on everything and do the intensive so that way we can all get ourselves together. Yeah. And be clear. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you so much. This has been fun. Did you have any final words for us, Bernadette? I do. I actually want to leave you guys with two things. The first thing is, is that your father loss happened to you, but was not because of you. And the second thing is that you deserve amazing relationships and nothing you've experienced and no person who could not see that disqualifies you from what you truly deserve. So stand in that truth and know that regardless of what you've been through, that there is more for you and it comes on the other side of you getting to know who you are deeply. I'm telling you, I absolutely love, 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 love this episode with Bernadette. So let me give you a little bit of information about her so that way you know exactly where you can find her. Bernadette Jackson is a woman of faith, a mom, a fatherless daughter, and a transparent truth teller. As a relationship engagement strategist and your favorite fear investigator, 
She creates self spaces for fatherless daughters to learn, grow, and heal. Her safe spaces include the Healing Elevates Relationships podcast, where she is redefining how the world views women with daddy issues. Her coalition, which is her private Facebook group, and Her Way Relationship Intensive, which is her coaching program. In that program, Bernadette teaches clients everything that she wished she had known about attracting and maintaining amazing relationships as a fatherless daughter. This program is near and dear to Bernadette's heart as she openly shares her own fear of abandonment cycle, which kept her in undesirable relationships for more than a decade. So I will definitely leave all of her information in the show notes so that you know exactly where you can follow Bernadette. So I will leave her website, her Instagram, and all of those wonderful things, right? So sis, there is no one like you. There is no one out here that can do the things that you do. So show up, let your light shine bright, and never dim it for anyone. Until next time, bye.